Welcome to the Law of Startups Podcast. I'm Mike Schneider. And I'm Joe Wallen. Thank you for being with us today. Today, we're lucky to have in the studio Mr. Mark Mueller-Eberstein. Uh, Mark is a longtime IT executive. He's held uh, positions, senior positions at Microsoft and Hewlett-Packard, and uh, now he's a blockchain, uh, well, a blockchain, uh, I don't know, what guru or? <laughs> uh, like lifelong learner for sure. But yes, it's a, it's a really, really cool technology. I've always been at the, trying to be at the cutting edge of technology from explaining people why mobile communication and email and internet actually makes sense, why cloud computing is a cool thing. And uh, when I, this blockchain thing came apart, I thought this is something to really work wa- worthwhile to dig into. It feels like the internet in the early 1990s. Yeah, well, that's the, that's the analogy that, the analogy is that the, uh, you know, the blockchain is to the internet what the what the World Wide Web was to the internet, or something. It's another uh, fundamental facet of this thing. This we call the internet, but it's exciting for sure. No, it really is. And for the, for those of us who have a little bit of gray hair, I mean, I can remember we had serious discussions in the early 1990s. I'm a I'm a business background, but in the IT for decades. Um, if advertisement on the internet actually makes sense, if there. <laughs> any other usage scenarios for this internet thing other than like sending messages so maybe it has an impact on the postal service but um, media companies transactions commerce it wouldn't even cross the minds of of most people when this internet thing kind of started (laughs) that's so funny well i think yeah i think you know mike i don't know how old were you in the uh i think i think mark might have us by a couple of years yeah, I don't know. I was in um, – Joe's a bit older than I am. I was in college when um, when the internet became a thing. Like when I was – when I was in, in um, I don't know, junior high, we, I had – I think I got my first modem for a Commodore uh, 128 computer and I used to dial into BBSs and things like that, which was sort of quasi-internet. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it wasn't until the, uh, I, I would say when I was in college, the internet was, was started out with like a gopher type of interface, which was just all text. And then really like the, the emergence of the browser happened right when I was there. Um, yeah. And, and that was, I, I wouldn't say, I would say when the browser, uh, became a thing, that's when things really started to take off. Wouldn't, wouldn't, I don't know. Is that, no, I think it's is that how you see it often, like, from an advertisement perspective, these things like banner ads, my gosh. And then, of course, we had cookies and all kinds of tracking opportunities later on. But it really, really was the very early time of digital engagement, moving from one-way communication to two-way communication, seeing what peer-to-peer could do like in the late 90s. I think that's, it has, I mean, it has surprised all of us for sure. Um, and it's, it's interesting to see that's so I said, what technology has, can do to transform businesses, societies, how we work, communicate, collaborate, even how we meet each other and our social interactions. I think it's just a fantastic and fascinating topic, and uh, I just can't resist to learn as much as possible. Yeah, so. for sure. So the- yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting to think. Uh, I was talking with somebody yesterday about, about I don't know, the Internet when it started and, and, and then the, the, how quickly things evolve. I think we were talking about self-driving cars, but it occurred to me that, you know, that, that browser moment was, I don't know, what was that, 20 years ago, a little more than 20 years ago? And then, uh, so 20 years ago, you have the browser comes out of, out of nowhere and all of a sudden people are on the Internet. And then, and then 10 years ago, roughly, you have the smartphone, like the, the modern smartphone. Um, and it feels like, you know, every 10 years or so, maybe there's some big shift. And, and I'm kind of curious to know what this next 10 years is going to bring, because it's been 10 years since we had the big, the last big, uh, if you if you look at the smartphone as the last big thing, you know, it's interesting to think what what's the next What's the next ten years going to hold? And ten years goes by fast these days. It feels like it feels like time goes by faster to me than it used to. So I'm looking forward to seeing the ten years 
go by and find out what the next thing is. Yeah, it is. And I think in all these technologies, they're really building on top of each other, amplifying it. Um, so you mentioned self-driving cars. You combine big data with AI, with blockchain technology, all building on the Internet, combined with mobile experiences. Um, I think we'll see more and more and more. I think uh, when you mentioned the phone, I was, in, I, said, I was at HP in the early 2000s, and uh, q had built this beautiful white phone that was a media player. You could save your music on it. And I used it really intensively on the Windows mobile operating system. I said, this is the future. This is what it should be. Of course, Microsoft never realized it, and then Apple came like two, three years later with the iPhone touch interface made it much much easier but the usage scenarios were already there several years before but it weren't even broadly available and not easy to use and I think it's the same with blockchain technology today um, people have heard about cryptocurrency they try to figure it out maybe a coinbase account if possible at all but really unlocking the potential it's still in the hands of a lot of, of very few people that are tr- starting to see what's possible yeah, it Do you want to talk about oh, – oh, sorry. Go I was going to say we should probably take a step back before we get too deep into cryptocurrency and, and blockchain just to give like a, a couple-minute primer for people who are completely uninitiated um, so they understand what we're talking about. So I think uh, people try to solve this one problem of transferring value over the Internet since the Internet is around. And there are workarounds like PayPal and using a credit card, but really peer-to-peer – transfer of value like we have seen like trans- we can transfer messages for sure but transferring value has been an elusive thing for for a long time um, and until uh, Satoshi Nakamoto came along and basically published this Bitcoin paper that really solved a bunch of problems um, I don't want to get too much details but it's called the double spend problem so basically how do you know that it digital asset is unique and can only be spent once and transferred from one to each other and he solved this problem with this Bitcoin blockchain um, the technology, and I think it has been proven over the last nearly a decade, um, the security, the features of the opportunity of creating value, sharing value, peer-to-peer is really transforming what's possible. Now, the technology itself, if you have a digital asset, can be used for many more things. It's like we had this Internet to send messages, but you can build peer-to-peer collaboration on it. You can start to put the communication technology on top of it. And I think what we will see with blockchain is very similar. Like any kind of digital information can be shared, can be exchanged, can be valued, can be protected in in ways, in a decentralized way sometimes, that has been... um, impossible before. So we'll see it not only for cryptocurrencies or for currencies, we could see it for um, any kind of transaction. We might have a worldwide land trust. We have use it for healthcare information. Um, We built something that's called a smart contract. So those are like um, computer programs that are basically encapsulating a transaction between parties and then they execute it automatically if a certain condition is happening. Um, Probably changing the job of, of attorneys as well. Yeah, for sure. No, I think there's, um, yeah, it's really, I think right now, I mean, if we're going to talk about crypto, Mike, and I don't know if we want to dive right into crypto, but it seems like right now there's a really great market opportunity for somebody to make it easy for people to buy altcoins. I mean, you can buy, you know, a Bitcoin or Ethereum through Coinbase, pretty simple, sync, you know, just type in your credit card and start buying. But say you want to buy like a Ripple coin or, uh, you know, another one of these new coins. It's not, there's, it's not easy for the um, average human 
to actually figure out how to do it. <laughs> I think it's not even <laughs> it's not even easy for the for the technology inclined people today. Yes, right. it, I think so. There's uh, and maybe with a lot of the things that are going on around ICOs, the initial coin offerings, where I think there's a lot of scams out there. It's probably good that it's not that easy to for for people to yeah. Get I was going to ask things. you, like, what do you think of those altcoins? I mean, there's there's a ton of altcoins. I mean, I, in my opinion, there's probably ten, maybe five or ten cryptocurrencies that are le- that I would think of as legit. And and then the rest of them are just and there's thousands it seems like uh, of just kind of you know random random uh, altcoins that that maybe maybe like you said maybe it's not so great maybe it is great that people are that aren't that uh, that it's not that easy for people to get into them. No, I think the model is so the model itself the ICO model and opportunity to create new tokens for new communities. I think it's perfect. It's going to change the business environment. It's changing how startups are funded. But also how even established players are building things. I mean, you've heard probably about the currency exchange for the South Pacific area that is going to be built up based on blockchain technology to transfer Australian dollars into Fiji dollars using a specifically created cryptocurrency, but that's not even traded uh, publicly, but to make those transactions actually possible on a marketplace. So the technology makes perfect sense there. Um, There are definitely, um, as you said, uh, cryptocurrencies out there that probably have improved the standoff time is at Bitcoin, Ethereum at this point, Litecoin, maybe Dash, maybe Monero, maybe Zcash for certain applications at least. Um, But there are, as you said, there are hundreds or maybe even thousands of tokens out there um, with more or less um, validity. I mean, we've seen the news, the largest ICO with uh, Tezer, we just saw over the last few days the news coming out that they might not be able in November to release their token. Mm. On the other hand, um, you start to see platforms created, actually even here out of Seattle. Um, you might have heard that Disney developed their own blockchain implementation and then open-sourced it under the name of Dragon Chain. And mm-hmm. there's a group that is building basically like a Dragon Chain accelerator and platform and marketplace for developers. They release their own coin. Um, that's more like a long-term strategy. I'm not giving investment advice, of course, here. But um, if you really start to look into the details, there are some interesting concepts forming on a global space and even here locally that um, I think could be having the potential to, to... changing the game, whatever that is going to mean in about five years. Right. So yeah, talk to me about the dragon. I've heard about the dragon chain, but I don't know specifically like what's unique or different about it or how, how is it different from Ethereum, say? Or So it's actually building on top of Ethereum or Bitcoin. So it's um, Disney had the ch- challenge or realized the potential of the blockchain technology within their environment. Um, transactions like licensing fees from Paris to California. Um, looking at the connection with IoT, so for example, managing their supply chain. So how do you make sure that a seller that is shipping from somewhere and ending up on a cruise ship, it's tracked the whole way, you know the heritage, uh, you know if something goes wrong, where to go back. Um, All of these internal applications where blockchain could help, they saw the potential. The issue was there's very little development talent out there to really develop directly on the blockchain. Mm. Um, So on the... programming language um, for, for, for Ethereum is really not that easy. So what they created is kind of a development layer and platform for the internal environment where they can use Java and C Sharp and just stand and Python, I think, and just standard programming languages to develop blockchain applications in-house mm. that they can run internally in a partly distributed environment. Um, and then without 
making all these internal transactions public, just from time to time hashing their own blockchain against the public blockchain, against Ethereum or against Bitcoin, to making sure that this global trust, the global um, immutability is utilized on specific points in time for their own, implement, uh, own internal blockchain implementations. Mm. And now if you start to have a developer ecosystem building on it, so somebody builds like a supply chain management solution for one company, why shouldn't they share it with another company that has a similar problem? Um, and that's, I think, what, where the Dragon Chain team is going right now. I see. Toward the supply chain. Supply chain, financial, internal transactions, but really making blockchain technology accessible for commercial applications for people that are not deep technically in the blockchain development environment. Right. right. I'd like it if somebody developed a really simple uh, robot, and the robot would just—I mean, I would just—I would just give the robot, you know, some number of dollars, five, ten thousand bucks, whatever. Right? Some amount of money. I'd mind if it disappeared or not. Maybe, maybe it'd be a lot less than five or ten thousand. But then the robot would just go and buy just a basket of like a, you know, like the Russell one thousand or something <laughs> of altcoins. I mean, just go buy some of this stuff. Well, that's a maybe robot. A good, maybe that's a good business idea. Maybe we should put some AI behind it and build a bot that tries to look at this. But I have, I'm, I'm, I have the fortune. There's really smart people that are looking at a lot of the white papers out there um, and um, see what's behind it. What do the prototypes look like? And so far, if you have some of these really smart people, um, they don't find a lot in a lot of these altcoins. Right. So I would really just be very, very careful. I think if you're there was the um, I think the advice was like put a put a percent in your uh, of your net worth into the main cryptocurrencies and you're probably okay to not miss the boat as well or right. not to lose too much. But right. if you're going into altcoins, I think there's either you have some really good friends that are really extremely se savvy or you get to be an expert yourself. Right. <laughs> fast, yes. Yeah, it's mm. true though. If you read the white coins, sometimes it is hard to under understand. <laughs> I mean, yeah. maybe it's me. Maybe I'm not technical enough to understand. But it sounds like you're technical colleagues also sometimes scratch their head when they're reading these white papers. Absolutely. I think some of them are pure vaporware, some are more marketing. Um, I mean, I think uh, when you start when you start to post a lot on you know, like my, my Facebook page on Mark Müller Eberstein, um, I post regularly about blockchain and Bitcoin technology and, uh, environment. So I start to get like this Facebook, of course, customize my newsfeed and yeah. my advertisement. So I now get regular advertisement for ICO in a box services oh, out really? of India. So including <laughs> marketing, development, yeah. making sure it's all right, uh, all, all done. And I think at that point, we are like really crossing the line of... Um, of, of where you need the understand you know, yeah the substance where there needs to be substance to build something I mean, sure as an uh, on the other hand I'm an angel investor so I know what due diligence look like how hard it is to build a company from from ground up right. um, and finding the, the nuggets within that pool of so many entrepreneurs that are trying to change the world but um, figuring out early where's the potential of going forward and um, I think once that ICOs make it much easier for entrepreneurs to raise capital but um, that doesn't mean it's easier to actually build a company, a sustainable right. business. Someone, someone told me recently that the, uh, well, sort of, uh, sort of the ICO, the ICO thing kind of reminds me of the early days of Kickstarter. I mean, it used to be you could, you know, you could do a Kickstarter, and it was when the platform was really new and novel. You could, you didn't have to spend a crap ton of money on marketing. You didn't need a fancy video, and you didn't need a really uh, nice looking prototype. You could. You could just slap something up there, and you could. Well, maybe this is an exaggeration, but in the early mm -hmm. days, anyway, there was so much enthusiasm for the platform, and that's kind of 
But now I, I think the, the ICO thing, I think I think a lot of these companies are spending a lot of money on the marketing of the yeah. of the thing. It's like mm -hmm. you've got to run a marketing campaign to generate interest in the community and people to... Abso no, absolutely. I think I sometimes describe ICOs like as Kickstarter on steroids. Instead of raising a couple of thousand dollars, maybe a hundred thousand dollars for a specific product in a pre-sale, they basically not even have a product. They write a white paper and raise millions of dollars. Right. So I think there's the, the stakes are much, much higher. Um, and as you said earlier, I mean, for for people that are not super technical to understand all these changes that are happening is is hard. Um, I've, I have the chance, I said, I, I like to give back. So I'm working with uh, Rutgers University and a couple of other schools around the world to educate people. And um, through Rutgers Coursera, the online platform, just asked me, said, hey, can you explain, how do you explain more people what the digital transformation actually is going to bring? Things like blockchain technology, but also big data, AI, IoT, um, the whole VR, AR revolution, social media, how all of these things come to together in transforming business. Most people that are not directly in the tech world have a really hard time to understand that. So we're putting a team together and uh, putting a Coursera class together that should That'd come like great. early next year and be available globally um, with with the Rutgers stamp of approval to basically go out there. Oh, that'd be great. Mm -hmm. So you fly out to Rutgers, like, how often? Um, uh, so fre frequently. The interesting thing is it's Rutgers executive education, so that's often not necessarily New Jersey, but it could be, like, downtown Manhattan, yep. Singapore, Prague. So it's uh, interesting places where executives from around the world come together yeah. and trying to learn the latest and greatest. Yeah, that sounds like a really great thing. Hey, Mike, what about your uh, meditation app? I think I'd buy a token to use it. Really? <laughs> so, so, so you buy a token, and then what do you? You spend the token every time you well, use it, and then no. it helps with the token if the token goes to another user somehow. Sure. Like I think I feel like the the most the most uh, uh, I don't know effective use of these tokens would be some kind of a community where people can like exchange the tokens with each other. Maybe you earn tokens by meditating, and then you can spend them. I, I don't know. On something. Yeah. So, I, I so don't know. Mike's, Mike's, Mike's developed a whole bunch of uh, sort of meditation. Uh, relaxation apps, mm -hmm. and uh, there are a bunch of them on the App Store, the iPhone App Store. But now you're transitioning that to an internet-based company. Um, is that right, Mike? Is that a fair description of? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we've been very focused on mobile for a long time because that's just how we that's where where we came out of. Like you know, the product emerged when the iPhone came out, but now it feels like it needs to be something bigger. So we've been working on a web platform, and then and then new versions of the iPhone apps so that it's more subscription-based. And um, yeah, I mean, you could do a, a, an ICO where it's like, a, you know, sell tokens to our community that says if you buy one of these tokens for a hundred bucks or whatever the price is that you'll you'll always have free access. And you can you, if you don't like the service, you can always sell your token to somebody else and give them free access. But I, I don't know. It seemed kind of complicated. Well, you might actually be on there to something. I think uh, one of the things I'm it's it's really creating communities um, and exchanging value. So the, I haven't thought about the meditation community, but um, one of the examples I've, uh, I've mentioned is like a vegan community. So they care about like the end-to-end -end, um, um, provenance of a specific product. Has it really been, where is it from? How is it transported? Um, and you could potentially use like a token to actually use that supply chain. Then you can reward people that are helping the community by providing recipes and organizing events or cookouts or whatever it is 
um, education events with those kind of tokens as well. So you can actually create a marketplace for, let's say, the vegan token. And the more people, the more producers are joining, the more valuable that actual community and therefore the individual tokens are getting. Um, so I can see, like, so, and, and of course, then you become elder participants, becoming also advocates of the community, driving the marketing. And so you can really create like a community token-based exchange. Um, I see those as opportunities coming up with loyalty programs. All of these kind of things yeah. will be much, much easier where blockchain technology could play, play a role and bring those communities together. Sure. So another example would be maybe airline frequent flyer miles. I mean, you could have, if those were tokenized, and, and if you were like me and never used them because you were too busy to figure out how to use them, you could sell them to yeah. somebody. I don't yeah. I mean, yeah. I, it's a possibility. I don't know. No, absolutely. I think it's uh, the loyalty programs itself, not the existing ones, it's hard enough. Like you have airline miles and changing and there are hotel miles or frequent or from a car, car rental. It's difficult today these to, to, to do these today. And the transaction costs are actually very high. Now, if you go on a blockchain environment, transaction costs, microtransactions could go down to basically nothing. So transactions are free. So you start to be able to do loyalty programs for even your, your local subdivision or your markets, different shops working together on a village level even potentially. So you can create those loyalty programs. And then, yes, yes, you can optimize for transferring those, selling them, making them marketable within that, within that, within that community. Um, I would say like a not mentioning a name of an entertainment company, but if you run a theme park, for example, you could create a marketplace for your, your spot in line um, for a specific attraction. Said, hey, I'm only five minutes away, but with my wife, and my wife really would like to not take this ride, so I'm selling her spot in line for somebody for a T-shirt with a cartoon character on it, for example. And it's all facilitated, um, this exchange on a marketplace by that entertainment company, all run by the blockchain. Again, coming back to your earlier comment, it has to be easy, it has to be transparent, it has to be fast. The implementation, user experience have to be great. But I think those things are still, are, are technology-wise, they are possible. Right. Yeah, yeah I th I've heard some, like, philosophically about why the blockchain is a big deal. Um, I've, I've heard some analogies to, uh, the story that I've heard is kind of a, uh, that that in the old olden times before money, there wasn't really a very good way for people to account for the value that they generate to a particular community. So they would trade things like I don't know chickens or or, or produce, and then money, yeah. So 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 the the money like the invention of the money uh, became a way uh, the currency a, a way to sort of uh, keep track of like like almost you know like like the the blockchain is a, a balance sheet. Mm -hmm. In the sky, it's like this giant ledger, but the, you're using these tokens or, or, or money or currency as those that ledger so that whenever somebody does something that provides value to the community, whether it be like to a specific person in the community or the community as a whole, like there's a way to give them a credit that they can then cash in later to get some of that value back. And um, but so so the, the 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 theory being that this blockchain and and cryptocurrency with the transactions uh, fees so low. Uh, that that somehow it would it would allow people to be compensated for even smaller contributions to the community, so that so that things that normally would be too small to bother with compensating people for could then be compensated and maybe in some way extract more value from all the people. And a good example would be like open source software. A lot of people contribute to open source projects. They do it just because they want to contribute. But um, you know, historically there hasn't really been a mechanism to like compensate people for contributing to open source. Um, you know, so maybe maybe with this cryptocurrency, in terms of its impact on society, would be 
you know, a, a higher, I don't know, productivity or a higher, uh, more, more value generated by our population because they're being, um, you know, rewarded for it, I think, uh, even if it's in a small amount. Yeah, Michael, I think you are right on. I think it's unlocking the economic potential. I mean, we've seen it the sharing economy, like, like cars, houses, like Airbnb, really unlocking an economic potential that wasn't accessible before by providing, by through technology, providing access to that capacity. And as you said, with transaction costs going nearly down to zero, all of that could be potentially unlocked, peer-to-peer, person-to-person. But now let's go into the next steps. I mean, think about you have different AIs working together, exchanging information. Um, how do they actually start to exchange value as well? So you could start to say there might be even a blockchain-based cryptocurrency exchange market for, for computers-to-computers communication. So I think there's a lot of things we have starting to see on the horizon. And um, people like you said we're getting envisioning those opportunities and scenarios will realize the future over the next 15 years. Yeah, I've thought a lot about um, sort of um, one thing that's curious to me is, um, and I know other people are working on this as well, but this idea of um, disrupting um, the, the way we've done charitable giving. I mean, historically, charitable giving has been, you know, you give money to a large organization, they deploy it, you sort of trust them to deploy it. Uh, but there's a dissatisfaction because there's, the overhead sometimes is very, you know, substantial in these organizations. And, I mean, the cynical, um, you know, contributor sometimes thinks, gosh, you know, my only small fraction of the money I'm giving is actually winding up in someone's pocket. But, I mean, through a, you know, blockchain token, I mean, you could you could just pass this, this value, uh, the value of the token directly to people who you want to help who are in need. Mm-hmm. And it would seem to be a, a great opportunity to, to do that. Yeah. Combined. It'd be more auditable. You could, you could, you know, if you were going to give money to some organization, if it was in a block, if it was in a cryptocurrency, you could, there could be some means to provide proof that the money was actually provided to certain people that you were hoping it would make it to. Or they could just, it just could go directly to those people. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you yeah. combine, as I said, if you combine technology like blockchain with business or, or concepts like the whole. Um, there's a crowdfunding you mentioned earlier, but also Mumich, um, you know, the, the banker to the poor. Um, said, how do you share wealth? How do you empower people? And um, being able to, like I said, I'm, I love to help through Kiva, for example. That's right. a, where you can pick the project off your entrepreneur somewhere around the world and help them to build their own future, their business for their family, their community. Um, and you can see those projects actually develop over time so i find that very rewarding yeah. now if you again transaction cost paypal is moving these things forward is supporting it as well but i think if you attach blockchain technology you're not only having the transfer the money transfer part but you could have auditability um, in a much much higher transparency and again with much lower transaction cost happening right fun stuff mike so yeah on your meditation app i mean i mean yeah you could sell a token to use the app for sure um and then that yeah, but I mean, the question is the question for is, you know, what's the benefit of the token in that context? Like, so, uh, you know, I could also just sell tickets like, you know, it could be centralized with me. I could collect the money. I could give somebody uh, an account or I mean, it's kind of what I'm doing now. Like people pay me money and I give them a subscription. The subscription runs for a period of time. The big difference would be with the token would be like their ability to then further transfer that out to other people. And I'm not sure, you know, I'm trying to figure out why they would need to do that. I mean, it'd be great if, if I could, 
You, you know what I mean? Like to some extent, cryptocurrency, there's like there's a lot of overlap between cryptocurrency and regular currency. And you and you, and like so when you're trying to think about applications for the cryptocurrency, the interesting piece to me is is that the spot where the two don't overlap. You know, where where, where something that's possible with cryptocurrency that wouldn't be possible with regular currency. And um and in the meditation business, I couldn't I couldn't really think of anything. Uh, but maybe I'm just not being creative enough in terms of how to how to leverage how to leverage it in a way that just selling selling subscriptions wouldn't wouldn't already you know capture possibly uh, michael but i think if you think about it more as a community and empowering the community which is of course it's like we're losing control if you're handing somebody over the community then token starts to oh man much more interesting and that just made you know, me think of something. Like, that yeah. uh, so, so that's a that's a great example. I don't know what why what you said just triggered it, but the idea would be uh, sell tokens to the to the audience. They buy a token. Each token is is uh, a vote that can be used to determine what the next um, topic or the next you know to to help dr- to drive the direction of the content, so that you can basically uh, you know become part of the community and then use your vote to influence what you know what happens on the platform. And then maybe so maybe people just buy a normal subscription, but if you want to buy the token, then you become like a, I don't know what they would call it, <laughs> some kind of a you know elite member that that owns a, owns a, a piece of something, not not necessarily a piece of the profit, but a piece of some like ability to direct the direction of of the content. Yeah, yeah. I think that's sorry, I, I cut you off. I, I should I should <laughs> I'll let you finish your thought. I, I it, sometimes when an idea pops in your head, you just want to like you know follow it. Uh, yeah, sorry, yeah. I'll, I'll let you guys go on. No, no, no. I think that's kind of what the that's kind of what the DAO is trying to do. You know, the DAO is the token offering, which became the example of what not to do from a securities law point of view. <laughs> but but mostly it was just a bad example because like clearly if you're splitting it, if you're telling people, hey, we're going to split the profits of this venture, then clearly you're selling a security. And so they got trouble for that reason. But the idea behind the DAO, like, hey, we're going to pull resources, and then the community as a whole is going to decide how to deploy them. That's a great idea that you can see. Make, uh, your neighborhood, uh, you know, like improvement association or something. It could, um, instead of having a homeowners association that tries to manage the money, and you could just do it all through a distributed ledger. Yeah, exactly. So exactly, that. so the, the the scenarios are nearly endless. Right. So tell me, Mark. So there. So what? What? When you? When you like? What? Tell us like the, about the Coursera class and kind of how many units is, is it going to be and like how, how long are those classes typically and how do you sign up and you're thinking next year it's going to, next year it's going to be available i think so i think by, by january it should be available on the coursera okay. side but uh, how, the, how coursera works is basically they work with leading uh, universities around the world to making sure they have the top-notch content so i'm totally humbled that they actually asked me to yeah. use like stanford uh, to, um university from from beijing it's a up here in in, in, uh, in seattle so um what it works you basically figure out this is a topic that i'm interested in um you subscribe and you start they're usually broken down um, in in the weekly segments, okay. um, you look at your lessons. There's some reading material around it. There's video classes. There's a forum where the students can actually start to discuss certain questions and with each other, with this, with the, with the professors and, and the staff there, and really engage in a community around a certain topic. And it can be something from programming 101 to machine learning to cryptocurrency to digital transformation and that's there was apparently a lot of demand for that kind of uh, environment and that's why they ask. Yeah. Has to put this together. So the topic is digital transformation. That's a 
sizable topic. It sure is. It sure <laughs> is. And I was, as I said, I was uh, I'm talking about this topic for decades, but um, and I thought it would be easy. But let me tell you, to making it. Coursera ready and the quality approval is not as easy as I had thought. <laughs> but uh, between the between the three of us, but I <laughs> so I'm looking very much forward to have this out there yeah. um, and have people experience it, and then of course providing us as well feedback. Is that how can we make it better for the next versions? And especially when you think about the technology field, there are so many things happening all the time. Yeah. So we will have to make sure we are learning while we are doing this and going and, and improving. Yeah. So, so yeah, but it's, it's, it's an interesting environment and the opportunity to really reach outside of the traditional. I mean, we, we are, I'm working with CEOs of large companies. We are working, globa we are working globally, but not necessarily with everybody who wants to learn in somewhere from Manila to Beijing to Guilin in, in China on to like London, Berlin, Seattle, Woodenville, whatever you want to call it. Where there are so many opportunities to reaching people and starting a dialogue and then un helping them to unlock their potential, but really bringing them together as a community to share ideas and, and come up with new concepts of Bringing, leveraging technology business, making our societies better, more productive, more efficient. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Fun yeah. stuff. Yeah. Mark, thanks for being on the show. This has been really uh, really entertaining and enlightening. Uh, how can people find out more about the stuff that you work on? And where, where they can, Is there a website people can visit to find out more when the, when the Coursera course comes up or more about you? Yeah, sure, absolutely. So, I mean, um, I was usually people just Googling the Mark Müller-Eberstein. I have a website, MüllerEberstein.com, where I'm posting things from time to time, but um, a Facebook site under the same name, a link. You can follow me on LinkedIn um, and, and on Twitter, of course, and uh, Mark and Eberstein. Um, so I will update people on a regular basis that follow me there. Um, what's happening, what I think is cool, sharing news that I see from the industry and uh, just keep the dialogue open. And uh, I said, we all learn together. Yeah, that's sure. great. Well, we'll okay, so we'll when we post this podcast, we'll post the links to this sites and then we'll all be on the lookout for your Coursera course. It sounds like it's going to be great. Thank you very much. It sounds like it's going to be great. Thank you for being on the show. Thanks for coming Thank on. Thank you very much. It's an honor being able to uh, share with you and your audience. I really appreciate it and looking forward to continue the discussion. Yeah, for sure. Thank thanks. You. And thanks everyone else for listening. We'll see you all next week.